Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo, and this is... J.P. Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com, and how about that snazzy new intro? Fantastic, and uh, everything's getting better all the time. I do want to thank Bo B. Craft of the Bocephus Broadcast. He whipped that up for us. He's a friend of the show, and you were recently on his podcast last week. Well, not only was I on his podcast, but he sent me a nice t-shirt, so I'm wearing it now. Repping the Bocephus Broadcast. It was about last year I met him in Keokuk, Iowa. It's right on the Mississippi River, and uh, had a fantastic time. It's all about the people and the environment. Definitely worth checking out if you want more of the genius after the show. For more information on that, you can hit up his Twitter at BeaucraftT. That's B-E-A-U-B-E-C-R-A-F-T on Twitter. Boy, I got a lot of good feedback from the B. Brian Blair interview. We just got to sit back and listen to him talk, share his stories. A lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, between the fights and the ribbing and, you know, we got a lot of good feedback. Yeah, it was a lot of juicy gossip like the Donahue show. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a bit of gossip here and there. So, Lanny, how have you been since our last recording? I'm doing well. Uh, just bought a new used car. It had 500 miles on it. It was a 2018 Honda Fit. Got a great deal and uh, very, very happy. I'm going to drive it about 10 years, and I'm waiting for the, what do you call it? The um, with the electronic cars, the automatic driving ones? Autonomous car, yes. I'm yeah, waiting. there you go. And then I'm going to say, hey, bitches, take me over here. But, <laughs> see, where I live, you know, the gym is walking distance. Whole Foods is walking distance. Every place of interest is walking distance. So I almost don't need a car, but I still need a car. So you decided to ditch the luxury car for a more sensible and comfortable Honda. Well, I had a Mercedes with 20 years old. It was a 1998 Mercedes. And uh, if I was going to keep it, I had to put about five, $6,000 into it. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. So, yes, practicality, the Honda Fit, and everybody says, aren't you too big for it? No, the word says fit, and it fits. If the genius can fit, anyone can. So what are we going to do to, I don't see how we can do better than what Brian Blair did, but what are we going to do for this episode? We're going to talk about Andre the Giant. When we first met, you shared a couple stories about him, and I was incredibly intrigued. Now... It's hard to imagine a wrestler more memorable or larger than life than him. You know, we've got stories of brute strength to drinking prowess. The eighth wonder of the world captivated people wherever he went. Now, as a fan, he's one of those people who just didn't seem real. He stood at 6 feet 10 inches tall. He was billed at 7 feet 4, and that's 224 centimeters for our listeners who follow the metric system. And he had a presence unlike no other. He was really like a real-life giant, much like his in-ring moniker suggested. Now, Lanny, throughout your career, 
with the WWF from 85 to 91, you shared a locker room with him. I want to open up the show by you sharing memories and stories about Andre. I'll tell you what. Um, did you see the HBO special about Andre the Giant? I did. That was fantastic. You really got to see a different side of the Giant. I was amazed. You know, I thought he was from Paris. Um, and it turned out he was from um, some rural community about, uh, you know, about a couple hours drive from Paris. Yeah, that's right. So there's a few things that I knew about him that I found out I didn't know about him. If you want to learn about Andre the Giant, get on HBO and uh, check it out. Now, I'm going to tell you some things that were not on HBO because I had a personal relationship with Andre the Giant, and I will unfold that to you. Uh, there's a couple of famous stories, but that's things you didn't know about, okay? Since it's the Genius Cast, let's give the fans something special every week. As you probably know, um, Randy and Andre did not get along, and it was all over baby oil, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I even told Randy... Um, can't you make an exception for Andre the Giant? You know, don't wear baby oil when you wrestle him. No exceptions. Who the hell are you talking to? You think blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. So I mean, so Randy was stubborn. So was Andre. They didn't get along, but they had good matches and, uh, they weren't pleasant matches. They weren't fun matches, not for each other, but fun for the fans. The truth is, okay. I met Andre in 1974. Mm-hmm. And he came in. I was wrestling for the Sheik, the original Sheik, and the he was the promoter of uh, Ohio, Michigan, and um, we also went to Ontario, and you know we got booked f- several places from there. Right. But uh, my father and I were the world tag team champions of Ohio and Michigan. Okay, mm-hmm. so the only place the belt was respected. So when Andre came in. Sometimes he would team up with a guy like Flying Freddy Curry. We always had a great rivalry between us, Leaping Lanny, Flying Freddy. It was Bo Curry's son. And so what we would do is it was Curry and Andre against uh, my father and myself, tag team match. And we would do a few general giant high spots, you know, get him in the headlock. He picked me way up, put me on the ropes, patted my head. People laugh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, get a full Nelson on him, uh, you know, bear hug and everything. He'd get out of it giant style. So it was just fun high spots with the giant, all his idea. And then we'd do a few high spots with Freddie Curry. And then we would capture Freddie Curry, beat the hell out of him, set up the hot tag, which means he's on his knees and he tags Andre. Andre comes in, headbutt, big, the big slam, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. You know, and then because we were the champions, we couldn't lose. So we got a disqualification or some double barbecue finish where Andre is still the giant. Everybody's happy. Everybody goes home happy. So, and we keep the belts. Then later on, we were in Amarillo, Texas, and I was still teamed with my father. And we would wrestle like Ricky Romero and Andre the Giant in every town, Albuquerque, New Mexico, El Paso, Texas, Amarillo, Lubbock. Um, San, uh, let me see, Abilene, Texas, um, San Angelo. You know, these were the, it was some of the greatest memories of my life. Um, just traveling with, you know, wrestling the funks and everything. You know, they were the greatest. Either I would lose the fall or my dad would. We'd take turns. No big deal. You know, no ego thing. And um, 
we always make sure Ricky Romero looked good and then Andre looked good and everybody was happy and it was effortless. And at the time, Andre could work. I mean, really work. He was not just a giant. He was a great worker. He might have been 7'4 then. Then he slipped to 6'10 and then finally I thought I was taller than him because he was a sway back bubble butt guy. And he was like, and he was starting to shrink. Uh, except his skeleton still weighed about 300 pounds. You know, it was like, and his hands were still huge, but he was all bent over and slumped. It was horrible. And in, 19, in 1985, I go to the WWF at the time. And I walked up to Andre and it was like he didn't remember me. And he was drunk out of his mind. You know, he, he would get drunk in the morning. Okay. And uh, let me tell you, his um, hygiene wasn't the best. And when you're a giant, that's worse. When you're on the road all the time, you know, I was wearing my laundry myself, but I tried to get a hotel that had a, oh, you know, laundry at the hotel. You know what I mean? To try to keep myself fresh. Yeah. And my trunks, I brought my cold water woolite and I would do that every, every night. So it'd be somewhat dry by the end of the day. You know, at least I made an effort. It's out of respect to the boys that you're wrestling, not to smell out there. Well, then out of respect to me, because I didn't like and to wear... And self-respect, too, of course. I didn't, I didn't like to wear my laundry every, every day, you know? Right. So, um, anyway, did you ever see The Lion King? you ever see Pumbaa? Of course. And what was he famous for? Oh, remind me. He had gas. <laughs> yeah, I've got some uh, brutal stories of Andre farting that I'll be sharing later on, but were you ever the victim of being in the premise of his gas? Uh, I'll tell you what, even if you weren't anywhere near, it would find you. Okay. So, but, and he would, whoa, 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 you know. So, you know, now he's like a little unfriendly and he's miserable and angry and, you know, just, he wasn't the same guy. Probably a bit of in pain as well. At oh, this he stage. was in horrible pain. His back yeah. was killing him. You could see that in his face. And I felt sorry for him. I remember the exact day. It was my birthday, December 28th, 1985. I just turned 31. And I was wrestling in the Buffalo Auditorium. We called it the Odd. And my father wrestled there when the promoter was Pedro Martinez. And my godfather was um, Elio De Paolo. And uh, he actually was my godfather. And... It was really great. I got to see him and get him on the phone with my dad. They could speak Italian. A really nice fella. Now, Dennis DePaolo has taken over his restaurant, uh, DePaolo's restaurant in Blaisdell, New York, which is a suburb of uh, Buffalo. I'm telling you, the snow was past your head. You know, it was like, but Buffalo is used to that. They get the worst weather in the world. The big joke is that Toronto is, they laugh at Buffalo because of the lake effect. Okay. You know, they, they get all dumped on with the snow. Yeah, they got about seven feet last year. It was quite horrible, wasn't it? Well, that's the way it is there, and they're used to it. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to get trapped in that type of snow. That's that's miserable. And they don't close the schools, you know what I mean? Everything, they're used to it. Yeah, and they close schools here for about two centimeters. <laughs> yeah, Florida, you know, we have a little... Every once in a while, we get something, and uh, they everybody's panicking. But... Okay, here's the point. My story has a point. I go downstairs to these depressing, cavernous dressing rooms, and there's Pat Patterson. He says, oh, my God. He says, my job is to keep Andre happy, and he's miserable. He doesn't have a deck of cards. See, Andre liked to fart and play cards. That was his two hobbies. 
And drinking, of course. Oh, drinking, yes, drinking. So I went upstairs, found myself a willing subject, gave her $10, asked her to go get Andrea Decca cards and tell this, there was a um, somebody at the buffer zone of the locker room, as soon as you come back, tell him, he will tell me, and then I'll go get the cards from you. I gave her $10. She came back immediately. It's like I couldn't believe it was so soon. You know, did she did she leave the the the, the stadium or the auditorium? She yeah, she had to leave and come back, but she had a deal. Brave the storm. Yes, and she came back full of snow, and she says, uh, "I've got the cards." And I said, "Excellent, thank you." Wow. And she tried to give me back my change, and I said, "No, keep the change." As a matter of fact, I ought to pay you money. No, no, you don't have to pay me anything. I'm happy. Blah blah blah. So anyway, I go downstairs, and there's poor Andre in a chair. And we're about the same height, me standing and him sitting. Okay. Yeah. And I went up and I said, Andre, voila. And I give him not just any deck of cards, but it was bicycle, the finest cards in the world. Not some off-brand, you know, bicycle. They've been around, they're, they're a brand that's been around hundreds of years. I think uh, Doc Holliday played with bicycle. I don't know if he did or not, but, you know, trying to be <laughs> interesting here, embellishing the story. It was bicycle cards. The pinnacle of cards. It was bicycle cards. It was not some off-brand, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about cards, but I've seen bicycle. Anyway, if you'd have seen Andre's face, a little tear in the corner of his eye, and he says, Merci beaucoup, monsieur. And he grabs me by his hands, uh, with his hands on my, on my head, brings me in and gives me that European kiss on both sides of the face. And I knew better than to resist him. <laughs> okay. And from then on, he called me boss man. So I was over big with Andre. You're uh, part of this fraternity of, of men who were able to share a ring with him. Not many people can say that. Was he stiff? You know, was he hard to work with? You know, because I've heard stories that he would kind of brutalize people out there if he didn't like you or if you weren't willing to work with him. Well, he would brutalize my brother whenever he felt like it, you know, and Randy would just take it and refuse to give in about the baby all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Randy says, well, this could be easier. And, uh, you know, he just, he wouldn't bend. Randy wouldn't bend. Um, see, Randy, you know how some people are prejudiced against, oh, certain races and different things? Randy hated big guys. <laughs> you know why? Because in his opinion, they were flabby, fat, and lazy, and couldn't work, and took all the money. He was a giantist. He was against the giants. Yeah. You know, and uh, the thing is, he knew Andre was a great worker when he was younger and not anymore. And if WrestleMania three was great, it was because of Hulk Hogan and Andre willing to cooperate. But you know that Andre should have, you know, quit the business years before he did. Andre was very, very successful in the wrestling business. Uh, he was like the biggest draw of the 70s and even into the 80s. But. It was getting to the point where the name and the marquee was better than the show. You know, Andre the Giant. Well, after you've seen him once, you kind of seen him. And um, if he wrestles John Studd, some of those matches were horrible. Okay. <laughs> so, and he, you know, he couldn't come back with it like the rematch of John Studd against Andre. No, you already got our money the first time. Now, you said your brother was brutalized by him. Do you have a particular instance of something Andre did while... While wrestling, Randy? 
Well, Randy hated to have his hair messed with, and Andre would always mess with his hair. You know, sometimes he would stand on his hair and pull him up, you know, and then leave a clump of hair. You know, and Randy was losing his hair, and he was very sensitive about it. And, um, you know, then a big clump of his hair would fall off in the ring. Randy hated that. But the money was good, and they he just kept doing it and refused to uh, stop his baby oil practices. See, Randy felt that as a smaller guy in a big man's world, and he was about six foot one, just like I am, you know, but that's not big in this in this business, you know. And it was New York was famous for being a big man territory. So Randy would do at least one hour of sunbed every day, even if he was on the road. And he lived in Florida. He got the real sun whenever he could. And uh, he used baby oil. And he tried to keep a hell of a tan. Now, he wasn't as tan as some of the wrestlers, like Hulk Hogan was even darker than Randy. And of course, S.D. Jones and people like that. So it was... But Randy was not a racist. He was a giantist, okay? <laughs> he was, And uh, he didn't like the fact that the big guys got overpaid and they while they were underworking, okay? And Randy's whole big thing was after the gimmick was over, the after the robe came off, and once the bell rang, he wanted to prove that he was a great athlete. And um, I think he proved it many times, but then when he wrestled George the Animal Steel, he couldn't prove it because George was just a 300-pounder with a gimmick. And the people loved the match, but Randy was never happy with the match. And then George Steele wouldn't take advice because he felt he was the veteran. And he says, just listen to me, kid. We'll have a good match. Well, Randy didn't want to have a good match. He wanted to have a great match. But you can't have a great match with everybody. Do you think everybody is Ricky Steamboat? Some people are 300-pounders with a gimmick. But the fans like it when George Steele chewed the turnbuckle and said, nice, to Elizabeth. You know what I mean? It's like he finally wanted to get rid of George the Animal Steel and work with Ricky Steamboat, and he finally got to. And then, of course, what we're talking about is WrestleMania three, the greatest match ever. Let me explain to you something, and I'm going to come off as small, petty, and angry. And I hate to do it because, you know, I... I want to be known as the happiest guy in wrestling and I drive the happy bus and, you know, not every day. I'm just a human being and sometimes I get my feelings hurt. Okay? Sure. So, this pertains to Andre the Giant too. Do you know what a blade job is? Of course. Well, tell the people what a blade job is because I don't like to expose the business. <laughs> you're going to give me that job. Well, a blade job is obviously when you're getting a bit of color in the ring, that means... uh a bit of blood during a match and um, either yourself or who you're going against, you know, takes a little razor out, which is usually hidden in the wrist tape or somewhere else, sometimes in the mouth, which is always a bit dangerous, I thought. And they just do a, uh, you know, a quick and easy slice at the hairline. I have absolutely nothing to add to that. Okay. <laughs> leave, leave me to expose the business. Well, the thing is, my father would roll in his grave if he knew. Okay. Yeah. But the thing is, I think those cattle have already escaped. Yeah, of course. Okay. The cat's so, out of that bag anyway, but yes. yeah, go ahead. Okay, but still, you know, I was raised blah, 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 okay? I hate blade jobs for several reasons. Number one, I think it's immoral to commit self-mutilation on your body. That's why I don't have tattoos. That's why I didn't 
I wouldn't have gotten a circumcision if it wasn't just me. Okay. Right. But this was, these decisions were made for me, but I don't want to do anything else to mutilate my body. So I, I know I sound insane, you know, but this is the way I feel about it. Now you're probably not alone with that feeling. I'm sure there's others out there just like you who feel that way. I'm, I'm pretty easy when it comes to those things. I also don't have piercings. Now I've dated girls with tattoos, piercings or whatever, because what are you going to do? And fake objects as, t- as well, right? In, yeah, saline solutions. I, I was back in the day of silicone. Injections. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it. Like, looked too good to be true. And it was. Felt like a, <laughs> felt like a cadaver. But now they're getting Oof. good at it. You know? Right, right. So anyway. Story for another time. I don't like to cut myself on the head with a razor blade. But if you're going to be a prostitute, at least be an expensive one. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like the most expensive prostitute I've ever heard of was, um, never mind. <laughs> okay. Are we going back to Skinny Lynn? No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, she wasn't a prostitute. She was just a ring rat. No, no. She was just, I really liked her a lot, but she had a big mouth and she exposed everything about me to all the guys. Yeah. So, it, it, we're going back to the first episode story. I yes, mean, that's the and, first thing. Yeah. No, go, go back, back to, to the, that episode. Go back to the first episode because we're not going to discuss it anymore. That's right. Okay. Anyway. I'm in Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, and NBC is there, and I'm going to be on a dark match. Now, when I was a boy, I didn't want to be in a dark match, okay? I didn't dream, see, someday I'm going to be on a dark match on NBC, so they can use me to check the lighting, check the sound, check and see if everything warmed the crowd up a little, you know. Um, the dark matches to see if there's any problems, they're going to fix it before they start taping for NBC. So I was on a dark match and I said, okay, it's a shit sandwich, eat it or starve. I had a wife and a daughter and, you know, I was very well paid. So sometimes I have to be on a dark match, which is not flattering to my ego. There's a lot of people in the wrestling business of Vince's minions that I didn't like. Um, Pat Patterson, I kind of liked him, but he was a very uh, two-faced prick. And uh, Chief J. Strongbow was a 24-hour-a-day asshole. And um, Pat Patterson was actually great 98% of the time, but he did a, he would do you a lot of damage behind the scenes. My favorite guy of all of Vince's minions was Gorilla Monsoon. He was always nice to me, and he always tried to elevate me, help me, and even when he did the announcing, he always put me over you know, and it was it was very noticeable. And I really, really liked him and I liked his son. And they're both they're both gone now, one for bad driving and one for diabetes. So <clears throat> anyway, they were very nice people. Okay, here's the story. And I'll tell you what, it, it hurts me to say it for several reasons. Gorilla Monsoon, Gino Morella, he comes and says, Leap and Lanny, where are you? And he grabs me and takes me to a side and he says, I just had a TV um, production meeting. Don't make a monkey out of me. I said, I would never make a monkey out of a gorilla. What'd you do? And he says, I recommended you for a very important thing, but I want to know, can you do it? I said, I'll do anything you want. What do you want? He says, you ever done a blade job? And I went, oh, (laughs) I said, no. oh, I said, sure, yes. I said, I worked in Tennessee. How many you done? 
I'd done about 30. I told him 300. Is that a lie? Eh, it's stretching the truth just slightly. Times 10. Yeah, I put a zero on it. This is what men do. Yeah, I put a zero on it. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, it was a knee-jerk reaction. You know, I had to tell a lie. 30 doesn't sound like a, like you're a veteran. 300 it sounds like, yeah, this guy's Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> you know, like Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, that forehead's a mess. Oh, my God. So anyway, he says, Andre was the biggest star of the 70s. And, you know, he's still a big star, but he's a baby face. We got him with Heenan, but he's going to have to draw 93,000 people and be a serious villain. We need a sacrificial lamb. And I chose you because I saw your name on the list. And I said, Leaping Lanny is the man for this job. And naturally, he buttered me up a little. He says, are you willing and are you able to do this for Andre the Giant? And I said, Gorilla, you came to the right place. I am the man for the job. I will be your sacrificial lamb. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, uh, this is NBC. I was in a dark match, you know. So they put me in the battle royal. Now, a lot of people have asked me about this before us recording. And it was about this battle royal, which you're about to share a story for at the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit in 87. Now, Andre, this was his first night when he was playing a heel on television. He caught you on the bridge of the nose with a headbutt, which, you know, many thought required stitches to close the wound. Now, what people think was that this behemoth of a man opened you up the hard way. Tell us what really happened. This is the genius cast. And we're going to cast away any negativity or falsehoods, okay? Right. I always tell the truth, even when I lie. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be on a dark match. I am not happy about it. I didn't, when I was a boy, dreaming of being a wrestling star, I didn't dream about being on a dark match. A dark match is for the TV people to practice their focus and the lighting people to practice their lighting and the sound man to practice his sound. And if there's any problems, they're going to fix them before the real show goes on. I would have rather been on the real show. Yeah. Can you dig it? Are yeah. you with me? So so Monsoon told you that you were going to do this. You were going to be the sacrificial lamb. So where'd it go from there? Monsoon tells me I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. No, it wasn't a hard way. And the headbutt, you could not feel it. I could not feel the headbutt. It was like he touched my epidermis without touching my dermis. And definitely didn't bother my skull or the bridge of my nose or anything. Here's what I did. First of all, besides the moral dilemma of, you know, mutilization of your own self, um, I also didn't like doing it because when I was a fan, I could always see people scratching their heads. Uh, sometimes they would put tape on their finger and scratch their head. Well, you think they're getting away with it? I was looking right at you. I knew when the blood was coming and I knew who got it and when. So for many reasons, I didn't want to do it. But don't forget, you're talking to a genius here. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it over. And I said, well, you, you know, one of my favorite shows is uh, Breaking Bad. Great show. Yeah. You know, hiding in plain sight. Of course, Breaking Bad wasn't a, wasn't a show then. So I'm just explaining myself. What am I going to do? I take a big blade, a regular, you know, that you put in your Gillette. They don't, I don't ever see them anymore. I taped everything 
except the four corners of the blade. Then I put the blade in my mouth and then I was able to get it and put it back, get it and put it back. What I was supposed to do is take a headbutt from Andre, blade myself, have him throw me over the rope and I get carried out. That was the deal. I didn't do it. I cheated and I'm going to tell you how. I stood in the middle of the ring all by myself and I cut the supratrochlear vein, which is also known as the frontal vein if you're not a genius. And it runs from the bridge of the nose up directly up vertically and then forks off into the scalp. Now, repeat after me. Supratrochlear. Supratrochlear. There you go. It's the super supratrochlear vein. In the genius cast, you have to learn stuff, okay? That's part of the deal. Say after me. <laughs> so I, what I did is I, I grabbed the, I took the blade out of my mouth, stood in the middle of the ring because I thought by hiding in plain sight, with all that talent around me, nobody be looking at me in the middle of the ring. Everybody be looking in the hard camera, but only see the people in the foreground. Okay? So no matter which camera was on, you couldn't see me doing this. And if you did, or if the camera caught me, I believe in a thing called post-production editing. This was not live. It was taped. And if, if I had done a mistake or something, you know, no big deal, right? They just cut it. Patch it up and cut again. Yeah. So, so I took the blade out and I took my left hand and I pressed it against my skull and I cut the supratrochlear vein or frontal vein if you're not a genius or if you're not ostentatious or if you're not um, pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> showing off now. I'm showing off. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm not a real doctor, but I played one on television. <laughs> I'm not a real genius, but I played one on television. Right. Well, right. Vince McMahon came up to me and said, hello, pal. And he gave me that bullshit, you know, like he's my friend. He says, you're going to do it for us, right? I said, yes, sir. And um, then Dick Ebersaw, who was the number one guy at NBC Sports, said, Lanny, he says, we've never had blood on NBC. Please bleed well for us. And I said, yes, sir, you've come to the right man. I'll do my best. And, you know, they had me all buttered up and pumped up and everything. So I took my left hand and I forced it against my head and went, boom, right on the supertrochlear. And it went nuts. It, I, I knew I had enough. So then I took the blade, put it back in my mouth, walked up to Andre and I said, Andre, I'm ready. He says, okay, boss. And he grabs me by the hair and he gives me a headbutt. Except you couldn't feel it because he was good. Yeah. He, he was really good. And it looked real. And he knew how to do it. Anybody that had a preconceived notion of thinking that, you know, he broke my nose or something. No, come on. Showbiz, baby. So, boom. And then he holds me again. And then he throws me over the top rope. And I took a bump and I was immediately bleeding when the camera finally saw me. And everybody said, when did you get the blood? Where did you get the blood? Where did the blood come from? Nobody, nobody knew. And I didn't tell anybody until now. Now, you put the razor in your mouth. And, you know, you're not the only one who's done this. A lot of wrestlers have used that tactic in the ring. Were you nervous having it in there? Like, like you take a wrong bump, you know, you cut yourself on the inside. I'd be more nervous with the blade on my finger, first of all. 
why are you wearing tape on your finger? Yeah. Um, Randy always wore tape on his finger. That way, no, whenever he, whenever he would do it, you know, well, he always wears tape on his finger instead of just, you get the picture yes. since he always, but see, I never wore tape on my finger. So I put it in my mouth. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Sure. You know, Paul Harvey? No, <laughs> I don't. Well, he's the biggest deal in radio, but he's been, you're too young to know this. Okay. I want you to, everybody who's young, Google Paul Harvey. He was the greatest. He was the, oh, this is Paul Harvey. Good day. Time for news. And after the rest of the story, anyway, he was one of the all-time greatest. Otherwise, here's what bothers me. Are you ready? Sure. Here's the part of the story that I didn't like. Did you ever meet a girl? You ask her out. She goes out. You do everything from A to Z, and then you don't call her, and it breaks her heart. You know, stuff like that happens every day. Well, it was usually the other way around for me. <laughs> Go on a date. She wouldn't call me back. Either way, somebody gets hurt. Now I know how it feels. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. I can't stop the bleeding. They carry me out, you know, and everything. And so my brother, Macho Man, you know, Rick Martel, Rene Goulet, and me are, you know, we've got a towel. I got a towel pressed against my head and they're helping me. Nobody else is even interested in me. Okay. These are my friends. Now I, now I know who my friends are. Right. My friends are Rick Martel, my brother, Rene Goulet, and myself. That's the only friends I've got now. Everybody else, Dick Ebersole is busy. Vince McMahon is busy. Everybody's busy. Nobody cares about the fact that I'm bleeding to death in the dressing room because I cut the supratrochlear vein, which is a hell of a vein, okay? It's the best vein you got. And I sliced it hard, okay? So I have to, I'll tell you what, no one cared. Nobody cared. And when it was all over, nobody thanked me either. You know, what was my big thank you? They announced the card for WrestleMania 3 and yours truly was not on the card. How do you like that? So, <sighs> that's okay. I still have my wife, I still have my daughter, and I still have my job. But no fucking thank you? Are you out of your mind? So, this was a big effort I made. I cut the supratrochlear vein and I didn't get a fucking card. You see what I mean? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems to be that it's a thankless profession. You know, you go out there, put your bodies on the line, put your health at risk, cutting yourself open like you did, and you would hope at least to thank you. Well, here's the, here's the thing now, okay? Here's the other side of the story. Oh, Dick Ebersole and Vince McMahon were there for the please. They weren't there for the thank you. you get it? And when they announced the card at WrestleMania 3, yours truly wasn't on it. Yeah. But... It's a shit sandwich, eat it or starve. That's right. And now you could, you could say, um, anyway. So I just decided to just, um, well, that's who my friends are. Rene Goulet, Rick Martel. Funny, they're both from Quebec City. Yeah. Um, my brother is my friend. And myself, I am my own best friend. So anyway, that's my story. That's the story of my blade job. And I had a lot to do with the WrestleMania 3 without actually being in it. 
That was NBC getting it ready, getting Andre hot for I was the sacrificial lamb. I did my thing and I didn't get a fucking thank you. Yeah. I would like to get a fucking thank you. If you're listening, send me a card. <laughs> you know what? It's been a long time. And uh, what's it been? A long time. Well, we know Vince is listening to the show. Oh, yeah. And I think it would be appropriate for you, Mr. McMahon, to write a card to Lenny and just say, thank you for your service. Thank you for putting yourself on the line for me. I think it would be the least he could do. And by the way, while you're doing it, send a sympathy card for my brother and one for my father and one for my mother. Yeah. Because you're like over five. Okay. This is how I feel. Now I feel a little better, except I got that venom in me. Now I'm supposed to be the happy guy on the happy bus. But if you're, if they piss on you and you think it's raining, you're not happy. You're kind of like dumb. Yeah, but you know what I've learned in life and in my 35 long years, and I'm sure you have as well, is that you um, you can control your own outcomes and that people are going to be their unpredictable selves. And, you know, not always are people going to react the way you would in life, but, you know, you just got to... Just let that be. And, you know, as we said, it's a thankless job. And try not to harbor too much resentment for that. Well, what happened was a couple of years later, um, I'm NBC again, this time against Hulk Hogan. So I guess if you want to say, did I get revenge? I guess that's the revenge. Yeah, to see there, you know, there was a positive at the end of that. There was a silver lining. Let, let's take things back to Andre. Now... A lot of folklore around his drinking. Um, on ProWrestlingStories.com, we've got dozens of great stories on him. You know, to read them, all you have to do is head over to ProWrestlingStories.com, hit the search bar, and type in Andre the Giant. And you'll have a host of reading material there to keep yourself occupied for a while. Now, in one of these stories, Bill Eady says, Andre's standard drinking was about five or six bottles of cognac before and during the matches. I'm assuming after the matches, not during. And another story was from the Princess Bride actor, Carrie Elwes, who told the story of drinking with Andre after the night of their movie premiere. He says they walked into this famous bar in New York and literally everyone stopped. He said it was like being in a Western movie when the piano twang comes to a stop. You know, just everything screeches to a halt. Now, Carrie looked at Andre and said... You can't make a simple entry, can you? To which Andre replied, No, boss, but don't worry, they know me here. And when they walked up to the bar, the bartender asked Andre if he would like the usual. Andre nodded. Now the bartender went on to grab a beer pitcher, and in goes everything from the bar. You know, you've got whiskey, vodka, gin, brandy, everything. And then Andre picked it up. You know, we're talking about this beer pitcher, which is about the same size as a coffee mug. And he takes a giant swig of it and then offers it to Carrie. He explained, although he's never tasted airplane fuel before, he thought that's probably as close to airplane fuel as he's ever going to get. He started coughing and Andre thought that was very funny. Ho, ho, ho. And for the rest of the night, Carrie just kind of sipped beers as he had to pace himself around Andre. Now, later on, they go to a second bar and it's in there. Carrie recognizes a guy who he saw at the first bar. He thought it was a fan, but then he got a bit concerned because this guy kept looking over to Andre and him. And Carrie goes, Andre, I think there's somebody following us. And Andre replied, don't worry about him, boss. Carrie goes, do you know him? 
And Andre replies, oh, it's a long story. And Andre then goes on to tell the story of a time he was drinking in New York and after about 15 of those famous pictures of his, he slipped and he fell while he was waiting for his car and he fell on top of a nearby patron. That poor guy must have thought a building was coming down on him, right? And since then, the NYPD, New York's finest, sent an undercover cop to follow Andre whenever he went drinking. And Andre would always buy him a drink too. You gotta think about this police escort. He had such a story for life. I'm the guy who tailed Andre the Giant. And apparently Andre was so funny about the whole thing and he would say, It's my protection, boss. Did you have any, uh, did you know about this firstly? And do you have any good Andre drinking stories? No, I didn't know about it. And yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> See, after I got Andre the deck of cards, he always called me boss man. And that's um, what he called you if he liked you. And he never called Randy boss man. But he loved Elizabeth, but he didn't like Randy. So anyway, it's about the baby oil. Maybe yeah, I, yeah, rewind the tape and you'll hear all about it. So anyway, here's what happened. After the Princess Bride came out, well, even before, I think, because he, he had a... He had a um, a tape of it before it even came out. That's right. And I never saw it in the movies. Um, he said, Lanny, come to my room. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't find me attractive because there's, what can I do? You're going to be his appetizer. Fortunately, he's not giant all over, so I was my only saving grace. Okay? <laughs> so I come into his room and he said, Lanny, You'd order anything you want from this menu. Anything you want. And I said, okay. Um, so I ordered anything I wanted. He said, but you have to have some something to drink. I said, okay, red wine, because, you know, I'm a health nut, but there are some reports that it, you know, makes the platelets in your arteries more slippery, and, you know, it's good for your heart and your cardio. That's what I tell myself every time I have one, <laughs> okay? I follow that train of thought, too. <laughs> okay, yeah. Are you buying? <laughs> okay. So anyway, so I have the big meal and I have the wine and this is great. I just hope he isn't getting me ready for, you know, whatever. But instead, he pulls out one of those, uh, what do they used to call them, VCR tapes? The VHS. VHS, right. Right. It's back in the old days, you know, when they used to have VHS. Well, there was also a machine because he had a better room than I had, of course. He had a, like a big Andre suite. So he stuck the tape in, and I promise you, I was the first guy ever to see The Princess Bride because he had it before it was out. Was it just you two in the room watching this? Yes, just us in the room. And then it, when it was over, and I really thought it was a great movie. I loved it. It really is. It really is. And Andre did a hell of a job. you got to give it to him. In fact, I think this, the screenwriters wrote it for him with him in mind. Yeah. And when you when you look like Andre, you don't need an agent, okay? So, Lonnie, what did you think of the movie? I said, Andre, what do you think? It sucked. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, you think I would say that? Not a chance. Trust me. I said, Andre, it was great. Did you like my performance in the movie? I said, yes, I did. I loved it. You were great. Excellent. Nobody could have played that better. Oh, thank you so much. You know, this is very important to me, and I like you so much, and you're such a 
you know, always so nice, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So then he finds me again. He said, Lenny, you come to my room. He says, anything you want. And then I thought it was in Groundhog Day. He put it in. We watched a movie, you know. Okay. You watched it a I, second time. No, I've watched it about six times. <laughs> okay. On six different days because, you know, the the wrestling, you know, you're booked, you know, boom, 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 boom. You're, so I, I think I wrestled, I think I watched it six times. Now I have to admit ego wise, I would have enjoyed it more if I was in it, you know, than I sure. could, but uh, since it wasn't have anything to do with me and he kept asking me, did you really like it? I said, yes, Andre, it was really great. Now I'm thinking, how am I going to tell him? No, I can't go in your room. Okay. Well, when the Andre asks, you don't say no. I decided to do the cowardly thing, and I hid from him. <laughs> okay, and, you know, I was in and out like a flash, man. I was like, Lenny, where have you been? I want you to see, come and see the movie with me. And I said, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you know, He's found so me. This is, so I thought to myself, maybe if I wore baby oil, he wouldn't. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's hilarious that uh, Andre... Now, did he forget that you watched it with him? Or was it just he just wanted to see it again with you? No, he he loved that movie more than anybody ever loved a movie. And he had OCD about it. And he liked, my scene's coming up. Look at this. You know what I mean? He would like uh, interrupt himself. You know what I mean? Here it comes. You know, my favorite... Uh, you know, the thing is... He was like a 10-year-old boy with his movie, and he loved every... And good for him, you know what I'm saying? It was a hell of a movie. Absolutely. And please, if you haven't seen The Princess Bride, please do. But you don't need to watch it six times in the same week. <laughs> well, once it'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, that's hilarious. That's probably one of the funniest stories I've heard about Andre. Now, of course, you had a very pleasant experience with him, but, you know, Ted DiBiase, he said... Andre has a very good judge of character. He liked you. But if you were a schmuck, he was going to let you know you were a schmuck. And if Andre didn't like you, he was going to make your life freaking miserable. And he definitely adjusted a few attitudes. For instance, DiBiase shared the story of a time he was tagging with Andre and Ivan Putsky against the Valiant Brothers in 1979 for Vince Sr. Andre made sure Putsky stood on the apron the entire match. He just didn't like him. Putsky wasn't really one of those guys that a lot of people liked. Do you have any uh, stories about him? Yeah, Putsky, listen, I don't want to gang up on him. See, Putsky was already on the way out when I was coming in. Sure. Okay, and I saw him, and I, you know, I saw him. And then I saw him a couple years ago, and <clears throat> I don't know how old he is, but he's definitely off the gas now. Uh, no more steroids. But he's like, I don't know, he's in his 70s. I don't know, you... Look it up. You can tell me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, um, I barely recognized him, but yeah, I think he's getting old. So I really can't say that I have anything against Putsky, um, but I know that very few people liked him. Kind of like a Buzz Sawyer type or maybe slightly different. I have, I didn't even know Buzz Sawyer, you know, yeah. um, but I knew that he was a, Everybody said he was a prick. Yeah, you listen to our last episode with Brian Blair. He uh, definitely adjusted his attitude. But um, anyway, continuing, there was another story DiBiase shared at the time. Andre had a match against Bam Bam Bigelow at Madison Square Garden. Bigelow wasn't happy at all with how the match was going, and Andre wasn't cooperating. And so afterwards, Bam Bam threw all his stuff together in the back, 
walked out, and he quit. Bigelow later said that Andre was right, as he realized later that he did have a horrible attitude. What was your dealings like with Bam Bam Bigelow? Well, I was his bitch, so... Um, Explain. Yes, I will. <laughs> it was Bam Bam Bigelow against Leaping Lanny back in the babyface days before I became the genius full of glory and renown. Right. And uh, I sure enjoyed being the genius a hell of a lot more than being Leaping Lanny, thanks to a guy named Hulk Hogan. So I would wrestle uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, and he was an arrogant prick, and he was horrible, and he, I thought he sucked, and he never washed his gear. One time he had me in the leg scissors, and it smelled like, I don't know, a cross between ammonia and cat piss. Oh. And I was starting to doubt whether or not I made the right career choice by getting into the ring at all. <laughs> so I looked at the schedule and it looked like I had about mm, seven more matches with Bam Bam Bigelow. And that was it. So I said, just like a condemned, you know, murderer on death row, I was Xing off the days. Yeah. You know, I was going to be free after this. Oh. You were biding your time. Yeah. Now, I'll say something nice about Bam Bam. There's got to be something nice. Go on Wikipedia, and I think he um, rescued some children in a fire. Yeah, he did. We got that story up on ProWrestlingStories.com. You tell me what happened then. Right. So off the top of my head, um, Bigelow was coming back from a trip to Japan. He was with ECW at the time, and he saw a fire burning down his road. And this was like well past midnight when this was going on. And he heard kids screaming from inside of this house. And so what he did was he busted through the door, went upstairs. I think he went through a wall, took the kids out. And in the process, he saved their lives. But he burned about 40% of his body. And so he ended up being in um, the hospital for a couple months after that. But, you know, he was a hero in this instance. And um, that situation, you know, sadly or ironically, you know, wasn't too far off from his in-ring moniker. But, you know, you said you were going to say some nice things about him, and that was the positives. So tell us your real thoughts. Well, it's the opposite of my father, who sacrificed himself on the road so he could give Randy and I a beautiful life. And, you know, always be there for the family, the family, the family. He put the family ahead of himself. He ate third, he ate fourth in his family. You know, he made sure his children and his wife, my mom, ate first and he ate fourth. You see what I mean? And where Bam Bam never went to the Motel 6, he went to the Acme Ritz Central Arms Waldorf Plaza, whatever the hell it is, you know, where they have the real cushy towels, sure. whatever, whatever it is, while he used $100 bills as toilet paper. And then I see in the Tampa Bay Times that um, his wife is... Uh, filing charges against him for non-payment of child support. So, you know, good for him that he saved all these people in the fire and bad for him that he didn't support his own children, but he supported his own fat ass. So that's just what he was in the ring. Yeah, he had a poor attitude. And I remember, I believe it's in the Boston Garden and he's a little late and he's bragging about something. He says, Hey, I just got a blowjob from an arena rat. And, and so I said, and right in front of the boys, and I said, I said, did you keep the receipt? <laughs> he says, what are you? And everybody laughs. 
And he says, what do you mean, Pavel? I said, you are a very ugly man. And I just thought if somebody gave you a blowjob, that you must have paid them. And everybody left. And he says, what, do you want to get trouble with me? I said, it's got to be easier than working with you. And everybody left. You see what I mean? And my plan was to kick his patella. Now, don't bother looking it up. That's your kneecap. Okay. And, um, you know, that's what I do to fat people. And anyway, I didn't like him. And he never thanked me when I would, like, lose to him on TV. You know, I mean, on, on all these shows, I would lose, 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 lose. And he never said, thank, thank, thank you, you, you. Nothing. And it's etiquette to thank the person because they're not jobbers. They're the ones that make you look good and you know better. Now, believe it or not, a couple of shows ago, didn't I say about the Shaker Heights spike and and now it's getting to be trending? Yes, that was an episode two, the All In episode. We were taking a fan question and you mentioned this. And, And people are looking at the Shaker Heights spike and they said, yeah, it's dangerous. And, you know, the thing is, gravity does not take a holiday just because you're a wrestler. And you got your cervical vertebrae, man. I'll tell you what. I don't think they gave a fuck if they hurt people. That's my point. So that was, you know, and uh, outside of that, they're nice people. And if you're listening, Beverly Brothers, and you want to, you know, talk about it, we will. But uh, it was much more fun being your manager than those poor schmucks that had to work with you. And why didn't you do it to Haku if it was so such a great move? You see what I mean? Of course, people don't do things to Haku, do they? Of course not. Now, how did that go in the end with Bam Bam? You know, obviously you guys were sparring with words. Who backed down first? I think he blinked. And I was glad of it because I would lose my job. Yeah. But I think of all the fantastic things Vince McMahon has ever done, pushing Bam Bam was probably the dumbest thing he's ever done. Because myself, I would not pay a ticket to see that guy. I would buy a ticket to see Chris Jericho. I would buy a ticket to see the Young Bucks. I would buy a ticket to see Kenny Omega. And, you know, I would, Rey Mysterio and all these people. You see what I mean? But I wouldn't pay to see a fat guy in a bodysuit that smells like Cat piss. Well, to be fair, you know, he he was quite agile for a big guy. He was doing the moonsault off the road. That's like, yeah, you don't you don't sweat much for a fat person. Yeah, I heard that bullshit. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't pay to see the fat motherfucker. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, let's go back to Andre adjusting some attitudes. The last one I've got on my list here is Jake the Snake Roberts. He shared a story that he and Andre got off to a rough start, just like your brother. Um, they had a match in Los Angeles, and Andre just goozled him the entire match. Now, everything Jake tried, he blocked it. He was just goozling him the whole time for 20 minutes, and, you know, Roberts was furious. He came back to the locker room, and he just started yelling at Andre. What the fuck are you doing out there, man? We ain't going to make any money with you doing that shit. That's bullshit. You goozled me, man. You didn't give me a damn thing. We're not going to make a damn dime, and I just don't want to work with you if you're going to be like that, man. Screw you. And Andre very calmly looked at Jake. He told him, sit down. Now, Jake doesn't recall why he did this. He could have just reached over and killed him right then and there. But he said, now, you and I, we don't have a problem. I just wanted to see if you would man up. 
And once Roberts manned up, it improved for him. But Andre still brutalized him out there. But he was just having fun doing it. You know, it was different after that. And then Jake explained, you know, just like your brother, he would pull his hair out there. You know, whether it be him standing on the hair, grabbing his arm and pulling him back, Robert said it was like piano strings popping. He would also sit on him and he would fart. And it was such a horrible experience, he remembers. Now, Robert says he did not realize how long a giant could fart. So it was like 25 seconds of just brutal gas. And there's something about vodka and wine with not much food that really gives a man a nasty potion to inhale. And he says, I know I thought I had a birthmark on my arm, but it was just a wine stain from his ass. <laughs> now, Jake continued, he could do some stuff to you out there, and his strength was just incredible, just unbelievable. But he loved that man, and he loved working with him, and they had a great time. And that kind of goes along with what you said about his gas. And even uh, DiBiase, he even told a story once when he was in Japan, and uh, they were on an elevator, and a bunch of Japanese people came on in their suits and such, and Andre just let out this long, loud fart, and everyone on there just looks so uncomfortable and you know how you know with the japanese they're trying to keep their calm they're they're not making a thing of it they're no selling it but dbs he said that was one of the funniest things he's ever experienced yeah it's not my idea of fun you know what i'm saying <laughs> i don't <laughs> not for the smell See, alone no but to be present for that i would have been that would have been one of the funniest things yeah i'm not into that okay not into the toilet humor no no and you know what uh no in in fact, um, I think the story that Andre, oh, I want you to man up. That's why should you man up? This is we are in show business. Let's just have a show and go home. Right. Okay. Why should we have to man up? See, in my opinion, um, I liked Andre in the seventies. I didn't like him in the eighties. I just tried to get along with him, and I'm just not going to s sit here on my podcast. And not tell the truth. Okay. Yeah. He was a problem. And he was like the biggest star of the 70s. And then toward the 80s, he was like Babe Ruth at the end. He had overstayed his welcome. Yeah, but at least you had a good movie mate, a good partner to watch a movie with out of it in the 80s. Yeah. Once was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just eat and run? Do I have to sit for the movie? Like the crazy girlfriend. Now, despite the stories of Andre's drinking and adjusting of attitudes, he had a bit of a soft core. Mean Gene Orkland remembers Andre as being a delight. He got to know him really well over the years. Now, the two of them had a couple things in common, he once said. They liked good food, good wine, and they liked to play cribbage and gin rummy. And he told the story once of the time Andre was on a plane coming from Denver to Minneapolis. Andre was up in first class while Gene had a seat in the back of the plane. Andre said to Okerlund, boss, you're sitting up here with me. So he sat down and Andre ordered himself a Bloody Mary. And it was 8 a.m., by the way. And he called it the eye opener, he said. And then he began to open up to Okerlund. He says, you know, people think that I have a great life, that I could travel all over the world and everything. But I see them when they point at me. Little kids laugh and they say, what kind of man is he? Okerlund says he saw him cry. Okerlund also was saying that he was quite a sensitive man, and nobody really realized this. Did you see the softer side of Andre? I never saw it, but the HBO special kind of helped me learn, you know, his dilemma. I never had him, no, he was always either happy or pissed off, but I never saw him sad. Yeah, he was human. 
big heart, apparently. Do you have any final memories you'd like to share about Andre before we move on? I just think he was a medical giant, and it was kind of sad. And um, he was one of the greatest stars ever. And believe it or not, JP, I don't regret cutting my super trochlear vein for Andre the Giant. Even if nobody thanked me, I thought it was a good move. Break out! It's the Macho Man Clip of the Week. Oh, yeah! WrestleMania 3 at the Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan. It's a day that I'm certain my guests at this time will not forget. I'm talking about the former Intercontinental Champion of the World, Macho Man nothing Randy. Means nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. Man. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? Ooh, I'm talking about all the way to the top, yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. Macho Madness, yeah, has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Yeah, let me say it, yeah. Let me say it out. Loud. And let me point to the president of the World Wrestling Federation. The Macho Man Randy Savage is not happy with your decision. Yeah, I am the cream in the World Wrestling Federation. Wait, wait a minute, and there is no doubt about it. Yeah, you mean Gene Okerlund. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Oh. Wait, wait a minute, though, Randy. I've got to ask you very seriously. Do you blame Mr. Jack Tunney, the distinguished president of the World Wrestling Federation, for Ricky Steamboat being the Intercontinental Champion today? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Outside interference, yeah. In my moment of glory. Yeah, no, I'm living in a nightmare. And I am the cream. And now, not only the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship belt must fall, but the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Because Hulk Hogan, yeah. I am the cream, yeah, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better than the Macho Man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are, yeah. And I'm talking to everyone in the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm even talking to President Jack Tunney, yeah. I'm on my way, and nothing is going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. You know, just out of curiosity, Randy, and I certainly don't want to diminish your tremendous uh, God-given talents, but, but I'm very curious. I haven't seen Elizabeth lately. Yeah. She's on the outside of the ring. Does she interfere in matches? Yeah. Nothing. Zero. Yeah. Pure athlete. Yeah. And I've been, uh, yeah, maligned from the top to the bottom. And because they can't handle the macho man Randy Savage, the cream of the crop, nobody does it better. When one thinks of memorable Randy Savage promos, this cream of the crop promo is right up there at the top. No rhyme intended, by the way. Randy was super charismatic and lovable on the stick, and his chemistry with Gene Okerlund was undeniable. With Randy spinning around, not looking into the camera, bringing props like coffee cream to the vignettes, he kept Okerlund and fans alike on their toes, and he provided entertainment that's still talked about all these years later. Did Randy ever walk you through his promo process? Where did he get his ideas from, and how much thought went into these promos before he was on camera? Well, I was there at the beginning when he was developing his character, and I was, it was, um, we stole it from, I say we, I helped him, Pampero Furpo. Right. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you out of the watching, number one station in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. That's not even that's not even a good imitation of Pampero. <laughs> but Randy, I said, read it like that. He said, 
You are watching the number one station in Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. That's when I realized, that's it. You've got it. He said, I do. And then he stayed in the bathroom for about three months, you know, in the mirror. Boom, boom, boom. Practice, practice. And he was never satisfied with any interview, any match, any costume. He could always make it better. OCD. Better, 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 better. That's why he hated working with George Steele. And he loved working with Ricky Steamboat. You see what I mean? He wanted to have the best match every night. And he couldn't because you just can't. So my philosophy is do your best, forget the rest. I've got, you know, I've got no pressure on myself. I want to do my best, you know, but the thing is, if you're not perfect is something you'll never be, except for perfect idiots and perfect assholes, there's no such thing. Where did Brandy get these ideas from, though? I know he he, he borrowed inspiration from Pampero Furpo for the, oh, yeah, but for these promos where, you know, he's bringing coffee creamer out and saying, you know, the cream of the crop, you know, uh, where did this come from? That was on the fly. He's, you know, he saw a creamer. He saw a cup of coffee, whatever. He was always looking for props, anything to make it interesting. That's amazing. And I have to ask, was your brother like this intense off camera? Like, did he, a lot of people ask, did he talk like this once the cameras stopped rolling? Was that obviously his voice amplified or was that really, did he really have that raspy voice? He really had a raspy voice and he turned it up for the TV. Okay, and the thing is, when they say he was really intense, you know, fuck them, okay? Uh, he never killed anybody. He never went to jail. Um, you know what I mean? Fuck you and your intensity. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I say intense in a, in, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, you say intense. It's not a good way, okay? It, I take offense to it. He was a good citizen. He never, he was a good man. And, you know, was he really that intense? Like there was something wrong with him. You know, he was OCD about the business. He cared about the business. Now, as a wrestling fan, wouldn't you rather have a wrestler care about the business? Absolutely. You couldn't keep your eyes off him. Some of the people didn't care about the business. They went in there and played cards. Uh, Randy could have taken all their money every night. He didn't. Not that he hated money. He loved money. Uh, but he, he wanted to get dressed and get ready for his match. And then every... On the road, he was busy finding a sunbed where he could lay in it for one hour and then put baby oil on for before the match, even if it meant pissing off the giant. <laughs> you see what I mean? Right. It was all for the business. Wrestling fans, it was all for you. And if you bought a ticket to see him, you did not ask for a refund. Uh, and the reason I'm saying it is you might have asked for a refund from me once in a while, but not him. He was the gold standard of caring more. We're going to go to the fan questions of the week. Now, Liam asks, at WrestleMania 6, Mr. Perfect, who you were managing at the time as the genius, lost his perfect streak to Brutus the fucking barber Beefcake. After the match, Beefcake cut your hair as part of his gimmick. Now, Pat Patterson set this up, but nobody told you that this was the plan beforehand. You were rightfully upset when you got backstage and your brother even threatened to beat up Beefcake as a result. Many people feel Patterson did that as a way to rib you. Can you walk us through what happened backstage after that match? Okay, the premise of the question is 100% false. 
first of all, I was not angry. I wanted to lose my hair that night. Okay. Because I had, I had an idea. I, I didn't have an idea. I copied an idea from 1978. It was Buddy Rose. He used to wear the wig after losing a haircut match. And I said, wouldn't that be the greatest thing to pop the crowd? See, if you remember, um, at a pay-per-view in January, um, the, the Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble, I can't remember mm-hmm. any of them. Um, anyway, I wrestled Beefcake and he, he already cut off a big swatch of my hair. And then I was booked in several main events and I would lose the fall to Hulk Hogan and then Beefcake would cut my hair. So by the time WrestleMania was there, I already looked like chemotherapy. Okay. It was ridiculous. So to say that I was upset, this is my fifth haircut match that I've ever lost in my life. Okay. I actually look better with a bald head. You know, it's got a nice shaped head. I look like Mr. Clean. So, <laughs> um, beefcake always, you know, he, his memory is perfect, uh, except everything he knows is wrong. Okay. Now, was Randy mad? Randy was always angry. And, um, is, is Pat Patterson ribbing? I don't, listen, I've said some horrible things about Pat Patterson, but let me say this. Pat Patterson was 100% business all the time. Even when he was having fun, he always put the business first. Do you understand me? Absolutely. He would not go into a WrestleMania and mess the finish up. That was Chief J. Strongbow's problem. And he was just, you know, he just gave the finish like, woo, 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 you just do this and that and this and that. And, you know, um, he and Strongbow was jealous that um, Vince liked Pat Patterson more and had more trust. But the thing is, honestly speaking, if you've ever seen Wahoo McDaniel's matches and then see Chief J. Strongbow's matches, oh, I'd pay to see Wahoo, but nothing with the Chief. You see what I mean? Yeah. There's no... There's no comparison between these two men. So anyway, my point is, look, I don't want to knock Brutus Beefcake. If he thinks I was upset, I was not. Yeah, he said in a kayfabe commentaries interview that uh, you didn't know and that you were trying to run away because you did not want it to happen. And then your brother even stepped in in the back to threaten to beat him up. So I think he's got the story wrong. No, that was my 15th haircut from Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah. I wanted, after it was over, I shaved my head clean so I could start with the wigs. And every time they would knock the wig off, the fans would go crazy, just like they did in Portland, Oregon, when I stole the gimmick of Playboy Buddy Rose. Okay? I'm admitting to you, I'm not always original. But I figured if Buddy Rose can do it, I can do it. And I love cheap heat. I love to pop the crowd. I want to pop the crowd. That's all I live for. You know, when I get out there, if I don't pop the crowd, I feel dejected and uh, I feel like I failed. And uh, guess what? I'm right. So now Beefcake, um, he's got a lot more problems than just that. But uh, whatever you think of him or whatever you think of me, just remember, I'm telling the truth at all times. Paul Skivers on Twitter wrote in and asks, What are your memories of Randy Savage's feud with Ronnie Garvin in ICW? Thanks and love the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Well, Ronnie Garvin and Macho Man Randy Savage had a fantastic match and they drew a lot of money and they had a great feud. And it was based on a lot of exciting uh, creative bookery. You know, when you've got the same main event coming and coming and coming to the same towns over and over and over again, 
you got to keep it fresh. And they built up a great audience because the fans knew this was more entertaining than you're going to get watching Who Shot JR. Richard Curtis wrote in by email, and this is what he had to say. Lanny, my earliest memory of professional wrestling was of your dad, Angelo Paffo, on TV from Marigold Arena in Chicago. My two favorite wrestlers when I was younger were Angelo and Dick the Bruiser. But once I saw the Macho Man in the WWF, he became my all-time favorite. I'm not sure of the year, but probably during the early 1970s, I saw on Chicago television your dad, and he was acting as the manager of a tag team, which I think were called the Graduates. The two wrestlers wore caps and gowns, and they were called, or they were very anti-establishment heels from the University of California, Berkeley. Who were those two wrestlers? Were the uh, were the wrestlers you and Randy? No, um, my, my father was not the manager. He was a tag team partner of Kenny Dillinger, and the manager was Mark Manson, whose name was not Mark Manson, but Dick the Bruiser thought that he looked like Charles Manson, Manson. And that's what, you know, that's the kind of creativity they had back then. You know, he had the long hair and the beard hippie type guy. Yeah. And um, so so he changed his name. You know, Mark Manson, Charles Manson, they took advantage. Yeah. And then he also asks, what was the origin of the genius character? Well, a lot of wrestlers have gone to the ring in a cap and gown. You know, so that's, uh, that's the cap and gown thing has been, I cannot take credit for because it's been going around for centuries. Okay, and wrestlers that have worn the cap and gown, my father, my brother has, um, I, I have, uh, Professor Boris Maximilianovich Malenko is a great uh, cap and gown wearer, and um, Professor Roy Shires, who became the promoter in San Francisco. Um, the genius character was inspired by me through Peter Sellers in the movie The Pink Panther and all those movies. I knew that, you idiot. I was only testing you. So, and I always thought, here's a guy that thinks he's smart, isn't, and he always winds up with egg on his face. So I was a comedian when I was the genius. That was all for being the buffoon, okay? And, uh, of course, not really brave, kind of cowardly, but I was very brave when your back was turned and I was deadly then. You know, so something you could really be angry at. But in those days, I was like the only comedian in a very serious business. And I was trying to give myself a new personality because Leaping Lanny had worn out his face after five years of being a struggling, um, you know, suffering hero. Right. That's right. In fact, I was watching a couple Leaping Lanny videos on YouTube just last week and Gosh, I saw you up against Kamala. And what were some of your best memories as Leaping Lanny? Okay, my best memories as Leaping Lanny, I got to wrestle Bob Orton Jr. and Terry Funk. And after those matches, all the boys wanted to hug me and shake my hand and say what a great match it was. Brilliant. And I wanted to answer, you know, well, it's because of Terry Funk and Bob Orton Jr. more than me. But thank you anyway. There's nothing better as a wrestler than going in the back and getting a round of applause and pats on the back like that. That's right. Now, a person who goes by the name of Only When Bored on Twitter wrote in and asked, On the April 28, 1998 episode of WCW Thunder, Macho Man called Bret Hart the biggest mark of his own publicity. And then he said that Bret's overpaid. To your knowledge, how much of that was real since he was using terms like mark and how was his relationship with the Hitman? Randy had a great relationship with the Hitman, and Bret Hart called me when Randy died. 
And also a lot of wrestlers, um, for example, Ted DiBiase and several others. Now, let me just say this. Um, I don't know what was going through his mind during every interview, but it must have gotten over if you still remember it. How's that? In fact, I mean, on that DVD for your brother, Brett was known as saying after Macho Man dropped the title, he made sure he seeked him out and shook his hand for being a great champion. Right. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you what, um, at least Brett called me when Randy died and that meant a lot to me. Mikey Rovalada sent in a question on Twitter, bringing up an interview Randy did in 2003, where he was saying he wanted to fight Hogan for real in a shoot-style fight for charity. He joked in that interview, saying that it would be a good tax write-off at the end of the year. Why was Randy making rap songs about Hogan and doing so many interviews calling Hogan out? Because there was a shock jock, I don't want to mention his name, but it's Bubba the Love Sponge. And they would uh, say things about Randy and my mom and my dad and myself every day. Well, my way of fighting back was I didn't listen to that show, okay? Um, and Randy listened to every word of it and decided to do something about it. And that's the answer to your question. Now, he wanted to fight Hogan, for real. Whatever happened of that? Listen to me. Hulk Hogan did a lot for me. Where would I be without him? I wouldn't have had that thing on NBC. We are not going to use this podcast as a vehicle to insult Hulk Hogan. Period. End of story. I'm going to make it my mission to get you to say something controversial about Hulk Hogan over the next couple weeks or months. What do you think about that? What do I think about that? It's never going to happen ever, ever, ever. In 1989, he chose me to work a program with on NBC and... Just like the fat girl on prom night, I had a date for the dance, and it's Hulk Hogan, and nothing you can say is going to get me to use this platform as a forum to say anything bad about Hulk Hogan. I still love this man. Well, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks, shall we? Tom Dyer on Twitter asks, One of my all-time favorite Savage matches was Randy versus Flair at WrestleMania 8. I feel it's very underrated. How did your brother feel about that match and working with Rick during that run of the program? I didn't ask him how he felt about things, okay? You know, like what went through his mind, what went through his soul. I just tried to do my thing, do my best, and, uh, you know, I had my own problems. So um, if he had to share something with me, he shared something with me, but I don't know what was going through his mind, and to speculate on it now would be just speculation. Yeah, fair enough. We're going to go to our last question from Phil, who asks, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of best wrestlers of all time? I would put Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. Well, firstly, at least one of those were actual wrestlers, Abe Lincoln. Yeah, L Lincoln was a wrestler. That's, I'm, I'm surprised you knew that. Of course, you're from Illinois also. What about wrestlers? Who would you put on, who are the top four wrestlers for you of all time? Well, I have to put Hulk Hogan. The Rock, Macho Man Randy Savage, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, if you want to go with the 80s and 90s. If you want to go earlier, you got to put Luthez, Gorgeous George, Buddy Rogers, and, um, well, let's see, who else? Pat O'Connor. And then, you know, that's the earlier times. And um, um, right now, I don't, see, that's like you're only eliminating me to four and somebody's going to get angry. So there's a lot of people that belong on Mount Rushmore and um, not me, though. I deserve to be um, buying a ticket to see Mount Rushmore. 
Now, I don't think there's really a correct answer to that question. It's all personal preference and opinion. You got to give credit to The Rock for becoming a great movie star, you know, and uh, transcending the wrestling industry. And also Jesse the Body of Ventura for becoming the governor of Minnesota. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, multifaceted. That brings our show to an end. Is there anything you'd like to uh, promote? GeniusLannyPafo.com is where, on the video section, you see my favorite memories. For example, it starts with my speech that I gave for my brother for the Hall of Fame for the WWE. And if you go into the video section, you'll see my match with Hulk Hogan, my appearance on Regis Philbin, and different things that mean a lot to me. In this world of wrestling giants, one man puts them all to shame, and he's every bit as rugged as the Alps from where he came. The French-born Andre Rusimov's no stranger to our shore, but we call him Andre the Giant, cause he's every inch and more. And millions stand in line to see God's mightiest creation, who's been called the greatest athlete of any generation. But he's never had a title shot, and we know very well, Hulk Hogan's got a broken heart and Andre's mad as hell. What will be the Hulk's reply? We'll have to wait and see. Till then, we're counting down the days till WrestleMania 3. And with that, we end the Genius Cast this week. Thank you for listening. Tell three friends. Until next week, so long. Merci beaucoup, monsieur. <laughs>I just want to say, not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TheGeniusCast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where Lanny's got his Brothers from Another Mother t-shirt for sale. You've seen it on All In, now you can wear it in front of your wrestling friends. You've got Lanny Poffo on one side and you've got Black Machismo Jay Lethal on the other. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Find Lanny every Monday on Reddit where he'll be taking your questions and you get a chance to communicate with the genius himself. We had a lot of fun this week, and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm JP Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at JP Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. Listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast 
at Lanny Poffo or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.